listening to the Transform Your Nutrition Podcast with your hosts, Rebecca Heald and Jeff Ash. Our purpose is to help individuals and families transform their relationships with food and develop healthy bodies, minds, and attitudes, all without restriction, guilt, or shame. So, hi, Jeff. Happy New Year. Yes, you too. Have you had a nice one? Uh, so far, nothing particularly eventful, so just... Uh, Extra day off this week, which was nice, and all that typical stuff around the holidays. The most eventful thing that's happened to us is that it started snowing. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. We've had we've had cold weather finally here. It was in the the um, almost freezing temperature, but pouring rain. So we didn't get oh. the benefit of the pretty snow. We just got the cold wind and then this freezing rain, and so it hasn't wasn't fun. But. Uh, no. Well, actually, um, funny you should say that because Leo, obviously you've met my youngest Leo and he was so excited to tell you that it had been snowing. Because I was like, has it been snowing in Texas, mommy? Has it been snowing in Texas? <laughs> I don't think so, but no, yeah. Almost. So, it was close. It was close as far as the temperature, but just a little too warm. So it was just the miserable rain. I was thinking this kind of reminds me of when I was in the UK last year. Well, oh, not yeah. 2019. It was that sort of cold, gloomy, wet weather so no well it's been nice it's been nice to have a bit of icing on the cake because you know we've been stuck in all Christmas so to have a bit of snow and it's quite nice because we were up um at the cathedral we're in a cathedral city oh yeah and when we were up there having hot chocolate so it was nice very yeah. nice sounds and nice now I get to come and talk to you about food addiction yeah I think that'll be a good topic this time of year uh, all the all the memes are out in full force uh, diet memes and and all that stuff on on social media so it's probably good to address some of these uh things that come up definitely because i think as we get into the conversation we'll see um kind of the link between um this this idea of food restriction of um food addiction and yeah restriction and dieting won't we yeah definitely so where do we start with this one then i guess um what does the research tell us yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting question. And, you know, before we were we had decided to do this episode and the topic. And so I kind of reviewed some of, of the papers that I had and information I had on the topic that I'd gone through before. Um, it's definitely not a, an area that I continue to stay up to the you know, cutting edge minute on because it's just I think it has very limited value when it comes to actually working with with people and coaching them through their their food related issues. But when you know, as I kind of went back through, I just was reminded of just how complex the issue really is and how how unfortunately common it is for people to take this dogmatic position of one or the other. So we have people who to be honest, know absolutely very, very little to nothing about nutrition science. And they're making this dogmatic assertion that food is as addictive or sugar is as, as addictive as cocaine because they read it again, you know, on some meme on Facebook or they read a um, they read like the title of an article and didn't even bother reading the article or digging into it further. And so they've made this assumption that, well, yeah, I have a hard time not eating sugar when it's in front of me. So this makes sense. And so they immediately internalize that and say, okay, well, that's, you know, science. And then you have others on the other side who say, no, that's silly. It's ridiculous. That's nonsense. Um, you know, look at this paper. They found that no, there is no addiction. But when you really start to look at it, there's, there's a substance to, to both 
sides of the argument. And really, it, it's such a complex issue. I mean, I was reading through some of these papers and realizing I didn't understand 90% of what some of these papers were talking about because it's complex neurobiology. And to think that I could take a very strong dogmatic position on either side of the issue would just be, um, you know, it would be foolishness to, to claim that I, I can have that level of knowledge. <laughs> and so anyway, yeah. that's kind of a short summary of, of it because you do, you know, I think everybody's heard that the sugar is as, as addictive as cocaine thing. And, and uh, yeah, I do. I mean, obviously I do. Whenever I hear that, you know, I have an image of somebody stood on a on a street corner with a bag of sugar, you know, yeah. spoon sugar, you know, it doesn't quite work like that, does it? So no. it's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Yeah. But I think what you've just said then there, I think is is really really important because, like you said, as as with anything in science and particularly nutritional science, you know, it's it's not black and white, mm -hmm. and you know there are very little things. There are certain things, like you know thermodynamics, but there are very few things that have been you know hundred percent you know solidly proven without any any other counter argument to it. Okay, right. and so um, you know, so I think all we can do as practitioners and as people out there listening is to work with what it is that we know, right. and I think that. As far as I'm aware, to date, there has been no, nothing to to suggest that there is a single food or substance that, or a single food, sorry, that has addictive um, qualities like, let's say, drugs or alcohol. Right. And and one of the important things to point out is the, the studies that have shown some of these um, almost physically addictive or even behaviorally addictive traits um, with sugar specifically, so sugar in isolation, are done in rodents. Yes. And we and we while biologically there are a lot of similarities, we have to understand people are not rodents. I mean, right. we're not the same. Um, you know, we can like our dog, for example, we can have a happy, healthy, fun-loving dog who puts on a little weight and we just start feeding them less and put them on this restrictive diet. And they're still a happy, fun, loving dog and it br and brings their weight down. But we can't do that with a human being because we're far more complex in our emotions, the way we, our social interactions, um, all of the different situations that we find ourselves in on a day-to-day -day basis. So we can't extrapolate how we would get, you know, you, I've often heard that example used with weight loss. Well, when your dog needs to lose weight, what do you do? You take him out for walks more and you've put less food in his bowl. And it's like an oversimplification of it because we're dealing with an animal and same with a rodent, you know, when, when you see their behaviors, um, but interestingly, we were kind of talking about one of these studies where they did actually observe this addictive uh, behavior in rodents with straight sugar. But what was interesting was that they found that when they restricted the sugar, so they only were, had access to it certain uh, periods of the day, they exhibited the, the addictive behavior. But when they had free reign, they didn't, which was yeah. a really interesting finding. It kind of lines up with a lot of what we talk about with, with food restriction. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, and I think that's what, you know, we hear a lot about is how, obviously, the, like you said, the compulsive behaviours that, that, that were seen in the rodents mm -hmm. were because of the intermittent access to it. Right. And exactly this, you know, a lot of people that I work with, a lot of people that come to me, they believe that they are addicted to food or mm -hmm. a certain food. 
And then as soon as we work on giving them permission to have those foods and to incorporate them, you know, in an, in an otherwise, you know, well-balanced um, diet, they find that this kind of addictive behavior seems to subside and mm-hmm. they definitely are able to, um, you know, find a, a, a a more satisfying approach and can have these foods as but you know because I think the thing is is that you know you hear it all the time I can't have certain foods in my house because if I do I'm just going to not be able to stop eating them so what you are doing is exactly what they were doing to the rodents in this study they were in you are kind of intermittently allowing yourself access Mm -hmm. and you almost need to like like, normalize the foods that you you believe that you're addicted to you know in your diet because don't get me wrong. I think that the feelings that you do experience when you believe you're addicted to food mm-hmm. are very real. Yeah. Okay. But what's going on beneath might not be what you think it is. Right. I think we attack the problem by saying it It must be, oh, sugar addiction. It's as addictive as cocaine. That's my problem. So what I need to do is just like if I was trying to get away from the negative side effects of cocaine use, I need to stop it. And and it's different, you know. Food we can't get away from it. Cocaine we can. We can we can we can actually avoid. You know, someone who's addicted to cocaine can actually get to a place where they're not around it, and they're not uh, you know they're not moderating their cocaine use or you know those kinds of things. Like, but with food, it's sort of it's a very tricky situation because we're always going to have it there. So it would be, um, so we have to attack it in a different way and we have to think of it in a different way. Um, Definitely. And I think another really important point to make, which, you know, I think we've already kind of touched upon as well, is that it's not, you know, with, with drugs or with alcohol, there's a single substance that mm-hmm. we do know is chemically right. addictive. With foods, we eat a mixture of, you know, ingredients in any one food you know we we eat highly palatable foods mm-hmm. that have sugar fats etc combined in them and they're, they're the highly palatable foods are the things that we actually feel this addiction to right. at times but one thing that we've got to understand is that food does release you know when we eat you know we do mm-hmm. have a release of dopamine and this is because food is rewarding all right food is supposed to be rewarding it's even evolutionary advantageous isn't it okay you need to get reward from food because it's going to keep you alive but that doesn't mean to say but like you know and and our bodies and our brains are so so clever in that when we restrict or deprive ourselves of something that we enjoy it will reward us even more for that food right if if we're not habitually eating it does that make sense and I think this is where people can get confused with kind of this idea of addiction a food addiction. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it comes down to more of, of how we're eating, the, 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 the way that we're eating our food. Because, you know, sugar is in far more things than I think people realize, or, or maybe they just aren't acknowledging it. Fruit. Fruit is packed full of sugar. I mean, fruit has, in many cases, as much sugar as many of the desserts that we have. And would we say that that fruit is this ab- addictive substance that we should avoid? Well, no. I mean, part of what makes the cookie or the cake or or something more quote addictive to us and and dr- more attractive and drawing our attention is the fact that it's highly palatable. It's not the sugar. It's the sugar, the okay. fat, the chocolate flavors, the you know the vanilla, the strawberry, whatever the the mixture of all the flavors, sensations, smells, textures that makes it 
attractive. I mean, even think of a cookie. Think of like, a, I don't know if you guys have Chips Ahoy, but they're kind of a cheap, hard, yeah. crunchy yeah. chocolate chip cookie, mediocre. And, you know, they're sweet. It's If you just want something sweet, it's okay to eat one. But you compare that to like this nice, soft, big, well-made, high-quality cookie, and you put the two side by side. Yeah, it's like if if, if sugar was as addictive as some people really claim it is, it wouldn't matter which one you you ate. But the fact of the matter is I can stop on Chips Ahoy cookies because they're just not that good. The other ones are much more difficult because they're so good. That's a really interesting point as well you make there, Jeff, because mm-hmm. this is something I often coach clients through as well, is because if a client has been restricting cookies, mm-hmm. the chips ahoy are likely to be just as enticing as a homemade but it, it, right. to begin with because your body is like, you've restricted this for so long. I'm going to mm-hmm. make this taste amazing. So I, sometimes I, need, I do work with clients on actually, okay, stop and think about that because sometimes – people if they are restricting if they're on and off diets they're not even actually getting the satisfaction or the pleasure right. from the food because they're mm-hmm. not engaging in it yeah mm-hmm. yep. so i have to work with clients on regaining that that pleasure and that satisfaction from their food because when you are in touch like you are a healthy eater okay you're approaching food from a healthy place so you 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 know you are experiencing the taste and the flavors whereas a lot of people that are restricting are not because they have I've had this with you know clients who I had one client who you know she 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 was she said she was addicted to McDonald's yeah Mm -hmm. now a year down the line of working with that client she goes I don't know what you've done to me Becky she said but I just don't want McDonald's anymore I just don't fancy it just doesn't taste like I thought it did right and the only reason that you used to think it tasted so great was because you you built it up in your head it was, you know and and so then you when you had it your body was rewarding you d- twice as much whereas yeah. now when you have it you know you can have it when you want you've got unconditional permission so you're actually tasting it you're actually yeah. you know guessing d- does that does that make sense? Well, yeah, you hear the saying, you don't, oh, you don't know what you're missing. You know, yeah. somebody who said, like, somebody who's not eating something and you're eating it, and they said, yeah, I don't know about that. And you're like, oh, you just don't know what you're missing. Oftentimes, I think we don't know what we're missing. And once we start to really enjoy different yeah. kinds of foods, we realize, okay, this thing that I used to like, like McDonald's, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, some of my favorite foods were honestly, these horrible, poor quality foods, because they were salty, they they uh, engaged my palate at that age. But as I matured and got older, and my palate got more um, mature and sophisticated, I guess I'm not, it's far from being super sophisticated, but you know <laughs> what I mean, but you can start to appreciate other flavors. And, and I can appreciate a good burger as opposed to a quarter pound of a cheese. I mean, there's just such it's night and day difference when you get a good, well-made, well-seasoned burger and compare it to McDonald's. And suddenly you're thinking, how, how was I even enjoying this before? Yeah. And, and, that's, and that also brings me on to the really important point of when you, again, when you are when you have a healthy relationship with food, when you're allowing yourself unconditional permission to anything that you want, you will find that you will be going for the higher quality, that you know, the food that is going to taste good and give you, and we're talking about chips and cookies and yeah. burgers right now. But, you know, when you actually are, I had this, I, and I shared this um, feedback with you recently from a lady who over Christmas, she'd just done some of my workshops and she didn't have a, a 
we were talking about this, wasn't we? About how normally she had this amazing New York cheesecake for dessert for Christmas mm. Day. And normally in the past when she was on and off diet, she would have had it no matter what because she mm. it was her day to have what she wanted. Right. But she said, since she'd done my workshops, something's clicked. And she said, I didn't, you know, that, that New York cheesecake is amazing. She says, but I didn't want it after my, my Christmas dinner because I'd had enough, I was satisfied. <laughs> and I just, you know, whereas if she was restricting if she was still in that mindset that that was the only day she was allowed to eat that cheesecake she would have just she would have eaten it when she didn't really want it you know and then and this is the thing is that when people are afraid that when they allow themselves to eat what they want they're going to overeat all of the foods that are you know that they've had out of bounds all of the fun foods as I like to call them but no you know Actually, when you're listening to your body and giving yourself permission, you your body will want the foods that taste good. You want the foods that gives it will want the food that gives it the most nutritional value. Yes, there is still a place for fun foods, but you'll know how they make you feel, and you will know you know you will really engage in the taste and the flavors, and you will also and it's just the same as you know more nutritious food. You know the, the foods that are giving you um you know much more nutrients, etc. They will start to taste better as well. Yeah, yeah, and you you just start to to enjoy that those foods much much more on a di- on a different level. Now, yeah. it, it's important to understand too if you know if you do start giving yourself this unconditional permission to eat, and you start just allowing yourself to eat whatever foods you want and and at the amounts that you feel is right for your body. That when you initially do that. Uh, if you just go from cold turkey to start doing that, yeah. you may you may still experience those times of eating more more than uh, what you need, and you might even experience weight gain. But the, but you when you incorporate the other principles that you are often covering with your your clients and and uh, the different strategies that we use with with the different people that we're working with, once you start to get all of those in place, in addition to this new change in attitude, that's when you start seeing the results happening. And, and start seeing the benefits because it's not just a, oh, well, your problem is that um, that you're trying to avoid sugar. So just eat all the snack treats that you want. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not. Yeah. And some people sort of mischaracterize what we talk about a lot uh, in yeah. that way or the, the health at every size movement. A lot of people say, oh, well, that just means or intuitive eating. Oh, well, so you just eat whatever you want as much as you want. And it's like that's a gross negligent yeah. oversimplification of what of what it the is. concept is and, and actually you know it's true you do but you uh, it's a journey and it's a yeah. process and once you can see you can eat what you want as much as you want when you want for what it really is right and not with the diet mentality attached to it yeah then you will find that you will be doing exactly that and it will be mm-hmm. The most healthful approach for you yeah. like you said it's you know it's so everything is so gross grossly simplified isn't it and mm-hmm. I think um but just one thing you mentioned there about this um it's not saying to everybody oh you know go and eat all of this as much as you want right now um because it's funny because I was having this conversation one of my clients was going through a bit of a sticky moment recently and um a bit before Christmas actually and she, we were talking about she was just she was struggling with, she'd been doing really really well and then um she got to a bit of a sticky point and this is what happens you know change isn't linear okay but that's another mm-hmm. another um conversation for another podcast but she said to me well you're telling me I can have what I want when I want so do you know what what's stopping me just going and having a, a McDonald's right now then well I might just do that on the way home and I'm like well no tell me why you're doing that are you doing that because you're wanting to rebel or were you doing that because you really want to do that and that's going to make you feel good? So, you know, yeah. so 
it's not, I'm, we're not saying to clients, go and eat all of those foods that are going to make you feel bad, you know, because you're allowed to. It doesn't work like that. But having said that, what you said there about, because sometimes, and it varies. I see this, don't see this with all clients, but definitely with some clients that have, you know, been dieting for a very, very long time and are Mm -hmm. really quite messed up in terms of what is right and wrong and what their perception of a healthy diet is. I do find that sometimes, like you said, they will sometimes struggle with portion control of the foods that they have restricted for so long. Right. But not, you know, that's once you allow it, once you habituate it again within your diet, and once you work through the steps that we work with clients through, that you you soon overcome that hurdle. And yeah. then once you overcome that hurdle, you you never go back there again. You're not going to go keep going around in the circles. You know, in the past, what clients tend to do is that they will restrict, then they'll overeat, then they'll restrict, then they'll overeat. Whereas, you know, when you find the balance, when you let yourself go through the habituation process, you will find that you can include all the foods you enjoy without overdoing it, without, you know, pushing your weight further and further up, which is what dieting does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And that's the, you know, that's the thing I find with myself with, um, with, with how highly palatable types of foods, these snack foods and stuff. I find it very easy for myself to eat them in excess. Um, yeah. And that's just something I've always done. But um, as it, it, when I start to actually think about how it's making me feel when I'm eating it, it and uh, I don't have to restrict it. It just suddenly I realize, you know what? I'm going to feel much better if I just stop eating this now. I'm yes. not hungry for it anymore, and so why am I continuing to eat it? And and these are the things that you have to add in in conjunction with the unconditional permission to eat. Yes. So it's not yes. just hey free for all. Um, it just like when we're talking about with kids, you know, where we, where we talk about child nutrition and we decide what they're going to eat and they decide how much and whether they're going to eat it. We don't just, we're not giving them unconditional permission to just like go off the rails and eat as much food as they want. We're providing a structure, giving them the tools, right? But we're, we're setting certain meal times that they're allowed to eat, but when they can eat, they can eat as much. And, and so we're giving, we're basically allowing them to learn how to listen to their body and the same thing is true for us as adults. We're we're learning to listen to to our body and how it responds to these things. And, and what if we're craving something, we go satisfy that craving. But we also go satisfy that craving with an understanding of how is this going to make me feel? Am I really craving it? Is there actually something else I'd rather have? Is there uh, how much do I really need to be to feel satisfied? Uh, you know, I had a I had a client recently talking about how she had, she had shifted from um, like with way that she ate desserts. She's now at a place where she can go and instead of getting the, the large ice cream, she can get the small. And in fact, she's even fine with getting the small ice cream and throwing half of it away. Once she's kind of done, she's had enough and she's realized it just very thoughtfully realizing that, you know what, I don't need to eat this whole thing. I can eat it until I'm happy with, how it made me feel and then I can toss the rest out and and move on and yeah uh, I um I had a client recently well just last week I was talking to her about Christmas and she was saying to me she was like yeah I've I've eaten I've overeaten over Christmas you know and I'm like well that's normal that's okay Mm -hmm. you know people that have a normal relationship with food do you know at certain points during the year we've said this before and she said but one thing I did notice is that I wasn't eating 
you know, in ex- to excess like I would have done before. She said, you know, Toblerone, she loves Toblerone. And she said to me, I would have an, a, a bit of Toblerone maybe in the afternoon with my coffee and then a bit of Toblerone in the evening. She said, whereas in the past at Christmas, I would eat five, six chunks of Toblerone in a go mm-hmm. and then feel sick. Yeah. She says, well, now I'm probably still having a couple of chunks every day, but, you know, because it's Christmas, I associate with Toblerone. I had the same with one of my clients. Um, I, I spoke to him just on the 30th, just before New Year, and he said the same thing. He said, in the past... I would, I, you know, it was not unheard of of me to have like nine celebrations in a go, take them upstairs in my pockets. Because whereas, you know, I've probably had three today, uh-huh. you know. So it's, you know, when you're listening to your body, you know when enough makes you feel satisfied. Yeah. And the other thing you've got to bear in mind as well is that your body is incredibly good at giving you signals it's mm-hmm. giving you signals all of the time the problem is is that when we lose trust with our bodies we ignore mm-hmm. those signals yeah so, same with our taste buds like I've got another client same guy um, with the celebrations and he you know wine is a bit of a thing for him okay and he said to me it's funny he said because I know when I've had enough wine when I'm going to push myself too far he said because the mm-hmm. wine tastes the, the taste of the wine changes yeah and I'm like Spot on. That is your body. This is what happens. Your taste buds do desensitize. When you commit to enjoying a food when it's maximally pleasurable, i.e. those first few bites, you're not just ramming it in and you're actually paying attention and you're listening to what your body's telling you. Your body at some point will go, hey, I've had enough. I'm going to dumb down the taste buds and you're going to be satisfied. Yeah. But if you're not listening to that, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's a great little trick or technique to use to actually start to help yourself to recognize that is if you consciously at first you kind of have to do a lot of these things consciously but over time they become more natural but consciously if you say okay i'm going to take a few bites here my first three to five bites so you don't have to like expect to do this for your entire meal but your first three to five bites say okay i'm going to consciously chew them and i'm going to look for different flavors that are popping out and I've done this at different times where where um, I'll take a food that uh, it, maybe it's it's like uh, life cereal. This was an example. I was just doing this yesterday, in fact, just because uh, I try and do this periodically. But I was eating life cereal, which is just a I mean, it's just a, a sugary cereal has okay. cinnamon and stuff in it. Um, really good. But what I did was I was as I was chewing it, I was there's little sugar. I was noticing little sugar crystals that are on uh, each one of the little um, pieces of cereal. And then I was also noticing the pop of the cinnamon flavor that came through all kinds of really interesting things. And then I'm starting to, you know, there was another taste that I couldn't figure out where it came from, but it was something that just, as I'm thinking through this, I was actually really enjoying the flavor of the cereal more. um, And it slowed me down too. And it also, and then it also, um, so it just made the food more enjoyable, slowed me down. It also helped me to be more aware of what I was eating. And so those are, you know, that's an example of some of the ways that that you can easily incorporate this into your own uh, eating to start being more mindful of how the food is making you feel and 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 the enjoyment of it. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, fundamentally, it's, it's interoceptive awareness, isn't it? It's about... Right knowing and and it's the the same principles apply with your hunger and your fullness as well Mm -hmm. when you've got that internal awareness you can you begin to listen to all of those cues much much better but 
one thing I was going to say is, you know, when you were talking about that, it made me think about my kids. When they try something new, they're always a bit cautious. They're always like, hmm, how does this taste? How, you know, and that's what we should be like as adults as well. You know, we should be experiencing, not saying we should always be cautious, but we should be listening to how our body feels when we when we try these foods and taking our time with them. Yeah. You know, exactly. It's, it, you know, and unfortunately, we do it as children, but we're having to relearn it <laughs> as adults. Yeah. culture. Yeah, well, and that's why we're always emphasizing the importance of of how you feed your children too in the, yes. throughout this process is because if you can prevent yourself from breaking your kid's internal regulation system and internal um, uh, ability to listen to their appetite cues and self-regulation and all of those things, if we can rather nurture them instead of mess them up, yes. then we set them up for success as adults and they can much more easily go through this process. And they can also much more easily make adjustments. If down the road, something happens, maybe there's a traumatic experience in life, a loss of a loved one, job situation, some kind of stressful thing that maybe takes you out of your normal eating habits. If you have this core foundation that you've developed as, as a child and into your young adulthood, it's much easier to return back to that and um and kind of rekindle that that ability to, to to do that yeah i mean that's a really important um point to make as well and i'm sure we've talked about this before and i think it's something i'm very aware of with my children is that you know i think you have to be really mindful of what food means in in mm-hmm. your household so yeah, we love food, we enjoy food, and we definitely eat for emotional reasons in this house, which is absolutely mm-hmm. fine. You know, we we have fun, we watch films, we go out, we have our chocolates just because it's a nice time, you know. Right. Whereas if my children are upset, if they hurt themselves, if something happens, I'm really mindful not to use food to comfort them or even to reward them when they've done something mm-hmm. When they've done something, you know, I, you know, oh, well done. They don't get rewarded either, you know, or right. for good behavior because that's exactly when that it, it becomes broken, isn't it? That relationship mm-hmm. with food becomes broken because then in adulthood, we then start to see food as something to reward ourselves with or when we do something good or, when, mm-hmm. or, to, or to soothe ourselves when something goes wrong. So it's about, I, I think, it, you know, it's about the messaging we are. I mean, you know, it is when you, when you, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. And when you think about it, it's, you know, it's just, it's common sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're in, when you're living in it and when you're, you know, you're, I, I guess, you know, food is just such, so complex and so integral and so intertwined with so many things that we do. So you just do things a lot of the time without even thinking about the impact it's going to have. Right. And, does does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of tying it all back into this idea of food addiction, we as we're talking about some of these things that we we find that you know it's not so much the the substance itself that's no. addictive. So you use that example. You may think that you're addicted to sugar uh, because you can't stay away from jelly beans. But what happens when you when you find that you really didn't like jelly beans all that much, and you find something else? A, a different food that is much more enjoyable and may even have far less sugar in it. And now, um, now you've really just find that you don't really eat jelly beans much anymore. Well, that's a good illustration of how 
sugar is not addictive in the same way that that cocaine is uh, in in the body because you know when when somebody's addicted to cocaine or alcohol. I mean, you know, alcohol is an example. I mean, I, you hear of people in prisons using hand sanitizer as a way of getting drunk. It's like that's that, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's clearly that there's there's a a substance there. But have you ever seen somebody lick sugar off the floor, like off a bathroom floor? Yeah. No, they wouldn't do that. Have they you know, you hear this uh, another analogy and you know, analogies fall apart in different ways. But do people sell their bodies on the street for sugar? Well, yeah. no, they don't. I mean, it, so it's very, very different. So I think it it does us a disservice and uh, to to try and equate the two and use those use those kinds of comparisons. And um, I think so, because I think the thing is, well, and like we've already said, there, there has been no research, no solid research to date to suggest that sugar is in itself um, has come is chemically addictive. OK, mm-hmm. and but like we said, there's been nothing to, you know, there's nothing to say that it isn't either. Does that right. make sense? And, yeah. you know, so I think there is still a lot we need to learn. But I think this idea, like you said, this oversimplification that you can be addicted to it almost takes away responsibility as yeah. well in some respects. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you just think, oh, I'm just a food addict, I'm just addicted to food and that's it. I you what and what I mean by that is, you know, you kind of um identify with it, don't you? You it suddenly mm-hmm. becomes a part of your personality. Yeah. When, you know, it isn't. It's not a part of who you are, you know. It, you, it's to become a learned behavior. Mm-hmm. It's become a feeling that feels very, very real. I'm not saying that it doesn't, you know, for the reasons that we've said. You know, you can, you can really, really feel that you are addicted to something because right. you cannot get out of your head, and the cravings can be there. But what we're trying to say is that the reasons for that are probably not what you think. It isn't this addiction. It isn't this chemical. You haven't got this chemical addiction like you do. You well. I say you haven't, the research would suggest that that right. is not the case. And, and another thing I think to really bear in mind as well is that there's been no research, you know, I'll, I'll say most of the research, not there's been no research because there has been some research we've, we've, we've spoken about, but most of the research around food addiction has centered on highly palatable foods, hasn't it? It's, it's focused on the foods that we see as forbidden, which... Mm-hmm. Like I said, then all of a sudden there's this this, this this connotation of it needs to be restricted or we need to be deprived of it. Or, or mm-hmm. you know, there hasn't been any research, into, like you said, into fruit or vegetables and to, to see whether that does anything to our brain chemically, you know. So it's just I just I think my point is it's just really, 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 you know, you're doing yourself a disservice listening to, you know, media messages out there that are making it so as simple as as they do, because like you yeah. said, we are qualified, you know, you know, we are certified nutritionists, we read the research, we, and even for us, it's complicated. Yeah. And I think for me, the biggest issue with it, and I mean, you see that you see this in any kind of um, issue where, whether it's drug addiction, sexual addiction, pornography addiction, any of these things, uh, if you're attacking the problem in the wrong way, then yeah. you're not going to fix the problem. So you don't, you know, drug addicts, they they don't address drug addiction by saying, stop using cocaine. Right. They, there's a whole process. And, and a, a lot of that process is learning about what's causing the desire to go get that. Yes, there's that physical addiction that needs to be addressed. But 
most people don't become addicted to cocaine just randomly. They're living a perfectly healthy, um, stress-free, mentally stable life, and they just happen to accidentally become addicted to cocaine or crack or, or whatever. Um, it, there's usually something underlying that that drove them to seek that out. And the same is true for food. And and I think one of the huge things, and I see this in, I, you know, I'm in uh, several different fitness groups, and I see this a lot, this very it's very oversimplified on how to address it. Somebody says, I need to lose weight. What should I do? Oh, just count calories. Oh, just cut sugar out. Oh, yeah, just no, cut no. out carbs. And the same Mark, is true. Mark, I've heard that as well this week. How do oh, I eat carbs, Becky? How do I do this, Becky? What can I eat instead of that, Becky? And I'm like, you're yeah. focusing on all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, you're trying yeah. to fix the problem, probably just in the exact way that the problem started. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the issue there is not uh, whether you're addicted or not. And this is, this is, I think the important part is, okay, let's just for the sake of argument, say that there is that sugar is an addictive substance, that food is an addictive substance and that you are actually addicted. Okay. Restricting yourself from it isn't the reason that you're addicted to sugar is not because you've had sugar, it's because of the way that you've used it in your life. And that's something that we we do know um, from, from just working with people and, and looking at the research is that the way that you address eating issues is not by pulling out food groups and, and specific foods. It's addressing the behavior underlying it. Um, and, and that's that's what I think just gets so it, it gets swept under the rug is that that yeah, we're attacking the problem the wrong way. We're trying to cut it out, and and that really exacerbates the issue. Yeah, and I think a, a really important point to make as well is that we are we're hardwired to seek out, you know, sweet foods as well, mm-hmm. because as our ancestors, you know, they they knew that if a food was sweet, it was going to sustain them. They also knew it meant that it wasn't poisonous. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and, and you know, as children as well, you know, we, uh, there's this, there is this evolutionary, um, what's the word? Uh, I, I suppose. Drive. Is it, yeah, yeah, this evolutionary mm-hmm. drive, that's exactly it. And, and, and again, and this is why we find these foods so rewarding is because, you know, as our ancestors would literally, would genuinely go through periods of restriction, would go through periods when they weren't getting foods, right. when they when they couldn't sustain themselves. So sweet foods were a good thing for them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our, their bodies, their brains would reward them for those foods. Right. So we've got to remember that's why we, that's why we do enjoy these foods. That's why we get the rewards from, you know, these highly highly palatable sweet foods. But of course, our ancestors didn't have this food environment to deal with that we have to deal with. That's that's a big issue. Yeah, it is a big issue. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know, it's uh, even us saying you need to, you know, restricting yourself or depriving yourself is not the answer. I also think that saying that you don't need to restrict yourself or deprive yourself is an oversimplification. Because like you said before, that is just the first part of the process. Giving yourself unconditional permission without then having the the other tools to listen to your body, to listen Mm -hmm. to your hunger cues, et cetera, to, you know, to identify those, you know, the food rules that have been put in place and that, you know, have almost become part of your psyche. You know, you need to do all of that work right 
but you almost need to you need to let go of restriction and give yourself permission to be able to do that work so that you're not then just approaching every other way of eating as another diet does that right. make sense yeah like, makes... we spoke, like we spoke last time when we were talking about intuitive eating mm-hmm. people can take that misinterpret that and see it as another diet right if they haven't gone through the first step in the process we take our clients through a step-by-step process, a mm-hmm. proven step-by-step process, don't we? Yeah. You know, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. So it's important that you're incorporating all of those different aspects, yeah. you know, when, again, just kind of reemphasizing the fact that, um, you know, what we're talking about here is not just a free-for-all. There's, no. there's a structure in place that when you do give yourself unconditional permission to eat anything and eat any amount of it, that when it's done in the context of that structure, that it works, you know, free for all doesn't work. We all know that. Um, it's so about, it's about trusting your body, right? right. Learning how to trust your body, listen to your internal cues, etc. And, you know, you can't just go from A to B. I think the thing is, is that, you know, most of the time when, when clients come to us, it's taken them a long time. It's taken them many years to get where they are. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to be unraveled with just a few, you know, with a couple of, oh, here you go, eat, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, it, it needs work and it needs. Right. And I think one of the things that, you know, what I focus on with clients, we do a lot of that stuff before we even look at the ins and outs of what they're eating. And I've said this before. Um, I mean, obviously we do look at, I do look at what my clients are eating, of course, you know, as soon as they come to me, but mm-hmm. then a lot of the work that we do is around, it is psychological and, that is then when and, and clients often don't realize the progress that they're making until it suddenly demonstrates itself in their behaviors they go well, I did this the other day and I don't know what you know I, I knew when I'd had enough and this yeah. tasted different and I'm like <laughs> yeah that's because <laughs> sorry my kids are in the background I'm really sorry I'm at home with the children it's the second time <laughs> you can hear them yes you know, I think it's and my point is, is that you know when you have. Mum can play in snuff Sorry. Leo, you're not going to be doing anything if you don't let me finish. Just. I don't know. Sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no problem. All this can be edited. I know. Well, you know, it doesn't matter if some of it's in there. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put put some in there for the humor. It's real, isn't it? It's real. (laughs) Exactly. I think think my point is, is that clients, when they come to me, sometimes clients don't really know what to expect. They're Mm -hmm. vulnerable. I posted about this today. They're vulnerable. They sometimes think that they, they kind of know that they're not, not coming to me for just another diet plan, but then... They're kind of like, they're, they're like, well, she's not going to just tell me exactly what to eat, when to eat. Then, But then, you know, after a few weeks of, of the coaching that we do, mm-hmm. they, begin, they begin to realize how I'm giving them the tools to be able to make the decisions and do it for themselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think it really emphasizes something that um, I was reminded of just this last week in another conversation I was having, which is so much of health and what we kind of think of as nutrition actually has nothing to do with the, the, the food itself, the nutrients in the food itself. It has to do with behavior and with how we're approaching our eating, uh, how we're structuring our eating and those kinds of things. So it's much, you know, we, our diet culture focuses on 
the food part, the actual yeah. content of the food, what's good, what's bad, and that often overlooks the the big picture items that are actually going to be the things that make the biggest impact. Because if you don't have the the structure in place with the habits and behaviors, um, it doesn't matter how you know quote clean your diet is if if you can't if you can't manage uh, manage that eating over and the entirety of your lifetime, then it's not going to do you any good to, to be eating organic and yet struggling in uh, other areas with binging or with, with um, these habits and behaviors that, that don't support, you know, kind of a healthy lifestyle. And I think that's a really important point to make because even I, you know, I've, I've, I've been honest about my struggles in the past with food mm -hmm. and I, um, you know, when I was, when my relationship was the poorest with food is when it was probably the cleanest as well. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, you know, but I would still, yeah, because you, and I think I've spoken about this before about the difference as well between binging and overeating. Right. Overeating usually is a single episode and it is usually, you know, it tends to be, um, you know, something that you can recover from quite quickly, etc. Whereas, you know, when, with a binge, it, it doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily the foods that you eat when you're binging or mm -hmm. the amount that you eat when you're binging. It's this loss of control. Right. Okay. And that's what it is. It's not the food. It's not, it's not the what, it's the how. Right. And I um, think that's just a great, great illustration for what, you know, a great way to describe what we've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Is it the yeah. how, how? It yeah. is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other key point is that nothing in science is, is black and white, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and all we can do, like I said, is work with what we've got. And I know, you know, I've worked with several clients who have come to me believing that they've got a food addiction. Whereas when we've worked through some of the things that we've spoken about, they have been able to then go on and actually realize that they can have a healthy relationship with those foods and they don't need to eliminate them from their diets and then feel that they are craving them constantly. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up this particular episode. That's a, I think we had a good, good discussion. Hopefully people have a good understanding of, of the fact that there, there's some reasonable evidence for yeah. supporting food addiction and sugar addiction. There's also Plenty of reasonable evidence uh, on the other side that says no, it's not, it's not the same, and it's you know it's not the same as a as a drug addiction. But I think it all boils down to what we've been talking about here. Regardless of whether there is an addiction or not, the way to address it is not restricting it, and uh, at least for humans, uh, because that's just not how we work um, emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, and so that we do see very clearly that restriction just leads to um, really the, the opposite effect of what we're trying to, to uh, get from it. So wh why don't you take a second to, and, and just kind of talk about your workshop that's coming up here for anybody who's listening that might be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Jeff. Yeah. So I've got a workshop coming up um, on the 12th of January. It's the third in a series so I've already delivered the other two. Um, but anybody who does sign up, they will get access. The other two were recorded. Mm -hmm. They'll get access to that and all of the materials alongside that. Um, but they will then also be able to come along and attend the live session on the 12th. So the first two workshops did go around and um, did cover a lot of what we're talking about now. It spoke about, you know, the reason that diets have probably kept you stuck for so long, um, delved into that. And then um, the last 
workshop then went through some of the steps you need to start to go through in order to let go of diets and listen, start listening to your hunger mm-hmm. and fullness signals again, etc. And then the next workshop that I'm going to be doing on the 12th is going to look at, again, how you can listen to your body, learn when you're satisfied enough. I'm going to talk about balance. I'm going to talk about variety. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to, to look at actually the things that you should be focusing on in your diet. So I'm going to look at the nutritional principles that you should be kind of thinking about. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I've left that to the last workshop is exactly for the reasons that I've just said to you here in that you often need to begin to change your how. Yep. Okay. Before you can really focus on the what. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I really do encourage, I mean, people can just hop onto the last workshop. That's fine. But I really would encourage anybody who, who does want to, to sign up for the other two um, and watch them in their own time beforehand, because it will give them the context in the background that ties in with exactly what we're talking about. And if they do sign up for, I mean, they're 20, it's 20 pounds, 20 um, British pounds per, per workshop. Or if you sign up for all three, then you will get all three for two. So it'll be £40 for all three of them. And like I said, that's because I really do want to encourage people to, you know, and, and everybody that has signed up has has um, has purchased all three because it really will give you, you know, a better picture of what's going on. Yeah, so, and that's a that's fantastic uh, value for what you're getting because you're getting, what, three hours worth of, of these uh, workshops. And then you also have a Facebook group where there's some discussion that goes on. And so you yeah. can get in there and interact and ask questions. And so, yeah, that's that's a huge, tremendous value. So definitely look into that. And then um, if you happen to be catching this uh, before um, – January, what is it, the 5th, I guess. Um, I'm going to be doing a... Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to be doing a, a free workshop for uh, parents. It's kind of targeted at parents and, and other adults who work with kids who uh, in the context of their eating. So if you're working with kids and there's food involved, then this would be something that would be very beneficial. So I'll be talking about some principles that we need to really keep in mind when we're addressing food and nutrition with our kids. And I'll be talking a lot about... Um, that in the context of your own health and fitness journey. So if you are going and embarking on your own journey of improving your health and your nutrition and your fitness, and you want to make sure you do that in a way that doesn't um, harm your kids or give them some uh, a negative view of what it is that you're doing and uh, you know mess up their their relationship with food and those kinds of things. And you may want to check out that uh, workshop or webinar also. And so we'll put links to those in the show notes. Yeah, cool. That's going to be such an awesome workshop, Jeff, you know, and I think just to point out that a lot of the work I do with my clients goes back to their experiences in childhood, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think if we can be aware of those as parents ourselves, Mm-hmm. then, you know, we can try and be as preventative as possible. I mean, obviously, yeah. we can't change the social, you know, the media messages, the good, even the messages that are coming from the government, yeah. you know, but we can, I think, if what the majority of what our children learn comes from, from the home, I think, mm-hmm. so if we can yeah. help encourage them to be as resilient as possible to diet culture, then they're not going to have the same battles that, you know, that I'm, I've been yeah. thinking that my clients go through. And then food addiction doesn't is, is almost a uh, non-issue because yeah. you've got the tools in place to just navigate our environment and enjoy those foods, navigate your way through them and maintain a, a healthy lifestyle in spite of uh, all those other influences. So this has been a great discussion. Uh, yeah. Look forward to our next one also. And so uh, we hope you all have a wonderful new year and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.